Now, some of you know him, and perhaps some of you don't. Jeff is the area director for Young Life here in Bloomington. He's been here for 11 years. And so um, Young Life works with students, junior high and high school students, to help them know who God is, that Jesus exists. And um, am I stealing? I'm not stealing your thunder, am I? Okay. All right. Uh, to help them know who God is, they do a fantastic job in the schools. And there's a lot of IU students who are young life leaders, and a lot of them are sitting in this general area a lot of times, and some of you get to know them and see them, and when they uh, have retreats and different things and they're gone, sometimes we have like three or four rows of no one sitting here because a lot of the young life leaders typically do that. Uh, I know my own kids have been very influenced and affected by young life and the young life leaders. And uh, the thing about Jeff, Jeff and I uh, get together regularly, maybe every other week or so, and sit down and talk. Um, Jeff is a friend of mine. Jeff is a, a, a person I have a lot of respect for. He's uh, the things that he has helped to do here in Bloomington and lead and tried to multiply his ministry, and so that the students that um, are in the high schools in this area that come to know Christ, and a lot of them, typically, a lot of the kids that they work with don't come from families that uh, go to church or maybe have not ever been to a church and they really get in the schools and really do a great job of working and reaching out to those young people. So we've asked him to come and speak uh, today and so uh, Matt told him speak on whatever God lays on your heart. So give a very warm welcome to Jeff Mart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Am I on? Can you guys hear me? No, not really. Is this any better? A little bit? Oh, there we go. Oh, good morning. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Um, That was a really good introduction. I should probably just sit down before I disappoint anybody. I want to tell you guys a story uh, of a discovery that I made when my wife and I bought our first house. Okay, so... Some of you are at a stage where you might remember buying a first house. Some of you maybe just did. Some of you know that that might be coming up soon. Paul, uh, the great Paul Konstansky in the back, has a picture of this house. This is the first house that we bought. It's over on the west side. Uh, You could probably find it on Zillow if you really wanted to. Uh, But my wife and I, we we moved in this lovely house in 2004. And uh, we were excited to kind of get out of an apartment. You know, we'd been here, and I'd been with Young Life for a couple years, and we wanted a place that that could double as the Young Life office, that we wouldn't be renting from an apartment. And it just looked beautiful in the winter. And so we were really excited about it. Um, And if you ever bought a house, you know that there are things that sort of come up that you weren't really expecting. Um, Yeah, just a little bit. And uh, we were excited that our friends Dave and Julie Cochran sold this house to us, and they sold it by owner. So we were actually able to buy this from friends of ours. So when the pilot light went out, I could like get on the phone and say, hey, David, like what is, what is, why is it cold in here? And what do I do about it? And he was able to walk through. He knew exactly where it was and exactly how you, how you do it. And, and he even kind of walked me through some, some different things and nuances about the house and what the attic looked like. We even actually went underneath into the crawl space, David and I. David, does anybody know David Cochran? There's a little shout out to David Cochran. There we go. Uh, and uh, 
we went under, military style, underneath into the crawl space just to see what was going on down there and how to keep it from getting damp and all this stuff. Um, and then there's yard work. How many of you guys love yard work? Couple people. It's not bad. I grew up, my parents had me cutting the grass when I was growing up. And I enjoyed it. There was something sort of therapeutic about the smell of fresh cut grass and, uh, and just kind of that hum of the mower. And it just it felt, it felt pretty good and kind of freeing to do that and be outside for, you know, an hour or so during the, the, during the week. And, uh, and I noticed when we bought the house and something that David was telling me is like there's, there's not a yard waste pickup here where we bought this house in, in Richland Township. And I was used to, you cut the grass, you've got that big catcher of all the grass, and then you put it in a bag and you set it by the side of the road and someone picks it up. And, uh, and David's like, they don't, they don't do that. But here's what you can do, is you can go take it to this place. And he takes me with him, and we get in his truck, and he takes some yard waste. There's like this It's not a black market yard waste dump. But imagine that it is. You go way into the country, and there's barely enough. There's trees are are covering the the driveway that you're supposed to go into. And and the the guy kind of comes out, and he looks at what you've got. And he's like, okay, I'll take it. And so you just give him all this, the yard waste that, you want, and, and maybe some things he'll let you, he'll buy from you or, or whatever. It was really, I, I don't remember exactly where it was, uh, but I remember thinking it was a long ways away. I don't have a truck. I have a 1994 Buick Century, which doesn't really hold a whole lot of yard waste. And, uh, and the city won't take it for me. So I realized when I first started cutting the grass, I had a little bit of a problem because I didn't know where to put this stuff. And so in the back of our house, we had just kind of this tree line that was sort of out of sight. And I just thought, I'll just dump it here. So I just started dumping it in a pile. And when it came time for, for the leaves to fall, we had a good amount of leaves. And I remember thinking, if you know me, I don't like to spend more money than I have to. Uh, and I don't like creating more work than I have to. And so I thought, I've got this mower. I'll just mow these leaves and then throw the 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 yard waste in a pile. Some of you guys have been to the old house. You may remember, remember seeing that. And in fact, Paul has a, has a picture of what that looked like. This is a dramatization. This is not actually the pile, but it looked a lot like that. I actually did have a stick pile right next to this pile of just grass clippings and leaves that were just a pile. And I literally, I did not think about it. I did not know what I wanted to do with it. It just was a pile that just kept growing and growing. And I, I you know, at some point, I just, what, what, what am, this is just getting bigger. What am I going to do with this? I don't want to get rid of it. I don't have a truck. I don't want to spend money. I don't want to call somebody to bring them out and deal with it. And then I do not remember who it was. But somebody informed me of something that's really, really remarkable. And when they said, oh, you've got a compost pile in your backyard. And I was like, what is that? Well, it's a big pile of leaves and grass. What it does, and Paul's got a slide to to demonstrate this. It may be kind of hard to see. It is hard to see. Sorry about that. 
you might be able to tell on the outside it looks like it's just leaves and grass. But on the inside, there is a micro, on a microbiological level, these leaves and grass are being broken down by these microbes into a broken down material that is really remarkable fertilizer, like the best fertilizer for plants. And someone told me that that big old pile of waste in my backyard is really growing this really remarkable fertilizer. And I thought, you don't say. (laughs) That's incredible. And knowing that I had it, I just started thinking, I want to use this stuff that I have. And so I started getting into gardening just a little bit because I had this pile in my backyard that was not necessarily monetarily valuable, but it was valuable as fertilizer. So I started growing some tomatoes and onions, and we had a a pumpkin plant that grew out of this randomly. We had one pumpkin. We called it Randy because it was random that it appeared. And, uh, And ever since then, I've just had this fascination with this idea, really kind of of composting. And I I remember thinking just a few months ago, why, I've been reading books about it, like I've been reading books about things that are related to uh, gardening, and 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 I'm like, why am I so fascinated by this? And then it kind of hit me that the idea of composting is the idea that God in his creation has created all around us the notion that life springs forth out of death. That this pile is a pile of dead stuff. But God's creation, in his infinite wisdom and intelligence, created this system where this pile of death becomes a wellspring of life. And I think that that is the very character of Jesus. And and if you look at Scripture, you're going to see all kinds of times where God speaks and brings forth life out of death. I'm just going to just quiz, you know, just throw out something in Scripture that you can think of where you saw God, where you saw Jesus breathe or bring life out of death. Just shout them out. Lazarus. What else? He brought Lazarus back from the dead. What's that? People with leprosy. Say it again. Yeah, the son of the widow of Nain touching the coffin and he comes back to life. The exodus, the people that were condemned, uh, even the, the Passover itself was Mary Magdalene. Someone whose life was utterly hopeless came back. Jairus' daughter. Um, you could talk about Joseph, who was left for dead and is kind of, in his eyes of his brother, comes back to life in, in Egypt. You could look at creation, that the world was null and void and God spoke and there was light and there was life. The, the, and, and of course, uh, the most powerful representation of life out of death is Jesus Christ. That he died and he rose from the dead. His death was not just a regular death, but his death brought out life uh, for all of us. 
eternal life that we all have a possibility at. So Jesus creates life out of death. And I want to share one of my favorite passages about Jesus uh, that I think it most powerfully encounters where he brought life to the person that I think may have been the most hopeless person that Jesus encountered. That he looked death in the eye, that he looked hopelessness, and he brought a life and a redemption that is only God can do. Okay? And it's in Luke chapter 8. The word's going to be up here on the screen. They may be a little smaller than I was hoping. Um, But if you have a Bible or if you have an app on your phone or on your Palm Pilot, you could check that out in Luke chapter 8, starting from verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. And when Jesus came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time but was, living in a, and was not living in a house but in the tombs. And seeing Jesus, he cried out uh, and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times. And he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. So let me just stop there. So Jesus this, uh, in, just has calmed the sea. Okay, He was just with his disciples, just with his friends. There was a storm on the sea, and he calmed it. And then they, that's awesome. And then he heads to the shore of the land of the Gerasenes, okay? And when they get to land, approaches Jesus is a naked person from a graveyard, okay? I want you to imagine you're walking near a graveyard. Someone out of the graveyard is coming at you who is naked. This person, we also know from the the story of Mark, that this person... uh, is exceedingly strong. I mean, it says here that he had uh, every effort that people made to try to tame him by shackling him, by bonding him, he broke. So this person is incredibly strong. And the book of Mark says that he also was cutting himself, that he was self-destructive, that he would cry out in the night, gashing himself with stones. And this person approaches Jesus out of the graveyard. I can't imagine a more striking and probably fearful thing to, be a, to witness. This person approaches Jesus and this person bows down. And the reason it bows down is because there is an unclean spirit out of this person. You know, using Matt's term, the weird meter, okay? There's something spiritual in this person. There's a spiritual entity that is evil in this person. And it recognizes who Jesus is. And Jesus is saying, come out. Come out of that person. Paul, let's go to the next slide. And Jesus asks, what is your name? And he said, Legion, 
which is, is a, a decent-sized army. It was also known as a legion. So this is a lot. There, it says there are a lot of demons that had entered, and they're imploring Jesus not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them, the demons, to enter into the swine, and he gave them permission. The demons came out of the man, entered the swine, and that herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Okay, this, I believe this happened, even though this seems crazy. So Jesus says, who are you? And it's like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of demons in this one person. And these demons know and are afraid of Jesus. They know that Jesus has the power for these entities to put them in a place they do not want to go, this abyss. The book of Mark says, do not torment us. And so Jesus, for whatever reason, allows them to go where they want, which is into this herd of pigs that are nearby. And at a word... Jesus calls them into these pigs, and then this herd of pigs, the book of Mark says about more than a thousand, rush down a steep bank into a lake and drown. Okay, I want you to imagine that, all right? You are standing with Jesus. This person that is out of control, out of control, any human understanding falls at the feet of Jesus. Jesus says one word, and then all of a sudden, the the pigs over there take off, sprinting down into a lake, and all drown. I wonder how the farmers felt about that. Let's take a look at what happens next. So when the farmers, the herdsmen, saw what happened, they ran away and reported in the city and out in the country. So these people, they went to see what had happened. You know, there's such... Speculate like this just happened. The, the the farmers are are going nuts. Their pigs are all dead in the lake. They have to figure out what to do with them, how to process them, how to sell them now because they're dead instead of being alive. Uh, they're telling their friends. Everyone's kind of coming out, and I'm guessing that this probably all happens relatively quickly. That the people come out to to see Jesus and what had happened. Verse 35. People went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out. He was sitting at the feet of Jesus. He was clothed, and he was in his right mind. And they, the people of the community, became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. So here's, you know, the people are saying, here's what we know, okay? The guy that was out of control is seated clothed in his right mind at the feet of Jesus, Jesus said something and all the pigs are dead. That's what we know. And the people in verse 37, and all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district, asked Jesus to leave because they were gripped with great fear. And so he got back in the boat and returned to where he came from. So, Jesus did some stuff that is so powerful. This man whose life was hopeless, who was broken, who was out of control of anything 
that any human had ever been able to do to try to keep him under control. That at a word that the presence of Jesus absolutely transformed his life in his life forever. Let's see how it ends for this guy. It says in 38 that the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging Jesus that he could accompany Jesus. But Jesus sent him away. He had a different plan. He said in verse 39, return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. And so he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things that Jesus had done for him. So this guy encounters Jesus in all of his hopelessness, all of his crying out, all of his hurting himself. He encounters Jesus who knows what's going on and who has the power to do something. And he transforms his life. He removes the the evil presence that he has and he sends it into the pigs. And this person says, Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. I want to go where you go. And, I, and I, I think that what Jesus is doing here is not a rejection, but it's a, it's a better idea. Jesus says, hey, you've got a great story to tell. The Lord has done powerfully so much in your life. Everyone knows that you were the crazy person. Everyone knows that you were the one who was out of control that no one could handle. All you need to do is just go back to where you came from. Go back to the Decapolis. Go back to your family. Go back to your hometown and just be among them and demonstrate for them in front of them how powerful the Lord your God is. So there's an... I love this story for so many reasons, okay? Uh, And one is, is dealing with fear and um, that Jesus is not afraid of death and hopelessness. I would have been absolutely out of my mind afraid at a lot of what happened here. There's a lot of fear here. I'm sure that the person with the demons is very afraid. He's afraid his life's out of control. He's crying out for help. No one can help him. He's living in the tombs. I mean, that's, <laughs> if you want something scary, why don't you live in a graveyard for a while, you know? That seems seems like a a pretty scary place to, to lay your head. But Jesus is not afraid. All this death and all this hopelessness that's in front of him, Jesus is not afraid. He speaks, he speaks with confidence, okay? Jesus' disciples are probably afraid. The the, the, uh, the shepherds, or not shepherds, the swineherds, the farmers, the farmers are afraid. They see the power of Jesus and they say, this is beyond what we know how to deal with. They see the good that happened in this one guy's life, but they also see that there's other stuff that happens. Our, our pigs got hurt. This one guy's life is totally changed and transformed but it, it affected our, our pigs, and so we, we don't want him around here anymore. Jesus changed the status quo of this community, and he did it right away. And that's, that is something that brings a lot of fear to people, to change how it is and how it has been and how you expect it to continue to be.
But Jesus is not afraid of death and hopelessness. And on the other side, evil trembles in the presence of Jesus. When Jesus entered into this situation, when he stepped off the boat, as evil as this presence was that was dominating this one person's life, that evil presence was afraid of Jesus. Because Jesus, and only Jesus, I believe, has the power to heal and transform and thwart all of that evil. The next thing I love about this is that Jesus redeems. This person, this garrisine, the you kind of call him the garrisine demoniac, he is redeemed. He is made new from the inside, but not just spiritually. Spiritually, we see that he, he falls at the feet of Jesus. He sits at the feet of Jesus probably to learn. He wants to follow Jesus in his boat. He wants to walk with Jesus. He wants to have that intimate relationship with Jesus. All the things spiritually, you know, that the church of Exodus is about is people personally encountering an intimate experience with Jesus. And it doesn't stop there. This person is also redeemed in a social sense. He becomes clothed. He's in his right mind. He's able to function with other people. That his spirituality is transforming who he is among other people. And mentally, there's healing that happens. He's in his right mind. He's able to sit. He's able to articulate. This person who is out of control is redeemed in so many ways. And I feel like that's the power of Jesus. Is that he, in our spirits, he brings life from the inside out, spiritually, socially, mentally, to bring out life in us that's only possible through him. Okay. So I love that story. Thanks for letting me share it to you. Uh, here's, here's what I think that the application for all of us is if you're like me, you walk into situations you live in situations where you feel like something is a lost cause. That something is dead or something is absolutely hopeless. And for some of you, it might just right away, you know that my career just feels hopeless. Or this particular relationship just seems like it's dead. Or this person is just too far from understanding the love and grace of Christ. But I think that in this passage, in this, what we see in Jesus, and what we see throughout Scripture, I think that Jesus is one that loves to bring life in the darkest of situations, in the most hopeless of situations. I can't really imagine a more hopeless guy than the guy that Jesus encountered here on, on the beach, outside of the graveyard. So what is it for you that seems hopeless? What is it for you that seems like it's dead and you've just written off? And I know as I'm preparing for this, there are things in my life that come up that I just feel like I think that God is telling me that I need to believe that Jesus can enter into this. Jesus can enter into this relationship, this person, this aspect of life. 
and that he can bring life in the most dead and hopeless situation. So I want you to consider, what is that for you? Do you believe that Jesus can transform and breathe life where there's only death and hopelessness? I'm going to pray, and then I think Dan's going to lead us up with communion. Lord God, uh, just thank you for this morning. Thank you for this people, this community uh, that wants to come before you and worship you as our God. Lord, you're a God of new birth and bringing life uh, from death, Lord. And, and that is the characteristic of God that we can see in nature, that we see in Scripture, that we see in the death and resurrection of Christ, that we see in the gospel as it transforms our lives. And we love that about you, Lord. And, if, uh, and I know that there are times where I really just struggle of believing that in every situation that I see death and hopelessness, that you have the power of transformation and you have the power of healing and you have the power of giving life. Lord, I pray that this community would be a community that trusts and prays for the Lord, for you, Jesus, to enter in and transform these most hopeless of situations. Bring those to to mind what they are. Uh, Help us to come before you with that and maybe come before each other with those those scenarios that we just think are, are lost causes. And we, uh, we love you and we thank you for your grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jeff, thank you for those words. Uh, I think it's really fitting that we move into communion uh, now. Um, during communion, if, if you're new here at Exodus, the way that we do it is there'll be people that'll be here in the center and to my right and my left, and they'll have bread and they'll have grape juice, and you come up and take a piece of bread, tear it off, and dip it in the grape juice, and then you can take it and eat it there, or you can go back to your seat. It's really a time for you to reflect and spend time with God. But um, communion is fitting because it goes right into what Jeff was talking about. Because the thing about communion is we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made 